0: I have two questions for you. Number one, are you a script writer? And number two, if I say the words Mary and Martha, what comes to mind? I'm guessing that for many, most, maybe all of you, the story that comes to mind when you think about Mary and Martha is the account where Martha is busy trying to get all of the preparations ready while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, today we're gonna dive into something else. And yes, there is a connection between writing scripts and Martha in this story. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Today, we are looking at the first part of John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. And this chapter, one of the most famous stories in all of the New Testament, I want us to kind of take our time going through because again as with the gospel of John he packs so much into his writing style and if we just kind of read through it real quick we miss the richness and the depth of the information that he gives to us. So John 11 opens by telling us that there is a man named Lazarus who is ill. So ill, in fact, that his sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. They send messengers to Jesus. Now, Jesus had left Jerusalem at the end of John chapter 10 because the, the Jewish leaders there had tried to kill him. Yes, that's right. They had tried to stone him to death because after they had asked him to say, well, tell us plainly if you're the Christ or not, which would have been saying, yes, I'm the son of God when they deduce that that is what he's saying then they decide that they're they're going to kill him for saying that but jesus escapes and he goes out into a, an entirely different area so mary and martha know this and they get word to jesus and this account tells us and john writes in his gospel now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus We have to go back to the time of Christ and the readers of John's gospel. This would have been a scandalous statement. It it would have been shocking for the readers of John's gospel to read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. People would have expected John to write that Jesus loved Lazarus, but they never would have expected Unless, and, and, unless, of course, they had already come to faith in Christ. But even then, culturally, the fact that John would write that Jesus loved Martha and her sister, why is this? Well, here's a couple of things to keep in mind. You know, the daily prayers of Jewish men in, in this time period included a prayer of, quote, Thanksgiving. Like, they would have written this, like, in their gratitude journals in a number of different ways. Praise be to God that he has not created me a woman. I mean, talk about male chauvinism. These people had this down. You know, there was one first century teacher who was noted for saying, basically, it would be better that the word of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the holy scriptures, would be burned rather than be entrusted to a woman woman men were not supposed to greet women in public and some jewish writers of jesus time taught that women should never even be allowed to leave their home except to go to the synagogue and even then, when they went to the synagogue there was a division and a separation and even there they were treated like second-class citizens Rabbis and teachers of the day did not include women. Many women didn't have any kind of an education. They certainly didn't get the kind of education that boys and men received. But Jesus was unlike any other rabbis of his day. Scripture is packed with examples and information that show that women were included as part of that larger gathering of his disciples. Sometimes we think of Jesus' disciples as only being the 12, but scripture references that there there were larger numbers. He had the 12 specific ones that became the apostles, but they weren't the only ones that were a part of his ministry. They weren't the only ones that were present um, on the day of Pentecost. They weren't the only ones that were there at the cross. They weren't the only ones who were given the Great Commission. And that larger group included women as well. And Jesus even allowed women to bankroll to finance his ministry. One common trait of all oppressive societies is how they treat their women. And sadly, it's not just men who oppress women women can sometimes be the worst oppressors of other women. And whether that is done in these more subtle kind of snarky ways or it is done in more overt ways, um, we see that happens a lot, far more so than, than men oppressing other men. The model here that we want to focus on is that Jesus respected both men and women. He included both of them, both genders, in the work of the kingdom, and we need to do the same. Well, Mary and Martha informed Jesus via messenger, the one you love is ill, referring to Lazarus. Why do they put it this way? Why don't they just send a message that says Lazarus is ill? You know, I wonder if it's because there was a subtle reminder in their phrasing Jesus remember this is your friend this is someone you love this is someone who you care about this is someone who's valuable to you is it possible that underneath that phrasing there's the hint of fear and doubt that Jesus might not just show up that Lazarus might not be important enough for Jesus to show up and to heal him. And it wasn't like Jesus was only in the habit of healing his close friends. It was a matter that he healed all kinds of people, people that weren't within his community, people who weren't within his, his group of disciples. And so in this phrasing, I think it's, it's easy to just kind of dismiss this at face value. This isn't just a synonym for the name Lazarus. There's something specific here about the way that they phrase this. Hey, Remember that the one you love, you know, isn't it just hard for us sometimes to really remember? We don't earn Jesus' love and compassion. I don't know about you, but I know sometimes I still find myself wanting to remind God, uh, God, um, I I love you. Um, I've walked with you for a lot of decades now, as if somehow God needs that information. Um, or as if somehow that's going to earn me something that that I might not be qualified for if the time that I have walked with Christ had been cut in half or something. But I love the fact that even though the way that they send this message, Jesus is still compassionate towards them. Well, Jesus gets this message and his disciples, and he says, okay, we're going to go back to Judea. Lazarus has fallen asleep, and the disciples take this news about Lazarus falling asleep literally, and they don't see why they need to go back to Judea, to the very place where they had just come running literally for their lives. And, and Jesus then ends up having to say to them plainly, no, okay, you're not understanding, Lazarus has died, he's dead. And Thomas is so frustrated by the fact that they're going to go back to judea to this place where they had just been um, jesus had just been threatened and by association them as well that he says um well okay (laughs) let's all go too you know so we can get killed right along with jesus i love how the biblical writers include details like this because we see people's humanity we see their fragility their weaknesses, and their struggles. And I love being able to read things like this and think, okay, honestly, I can so relate to Thomas. But then after giving them this information, Jesus waits for two more days before heading to Bethany. This is the town where Lazarus and his sisters lived. So what happens in the interim? Well, His sisters have to go through the process of preparing his body for burial and burying him. They have to get word to others about this death, and they have all these tasks that they have to complete because this family member has died. And not just any family member, but their brother. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically come out and tell us this, but by the absence of information that, um, the the information that's not included as well as looking at all of the different stories that we read about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it's very likely, I don't want to say it's definite because we don't know that, but it's very likely that Lazarus was the brother who was the, the patriarch of their family. I know right now that the term patriarch or patriarchy is about as hot and negative as of a word that you can get in the United States right now. And there's so much that a person could unpack on that. And we don't want to be simplistic in our thinking, at, especially culturally at the time of Christ, and to see this as all bad or all, as all good. That's what five-year-olds do. The world is black and white. People are good or bad. When we grow up, we recognize hopefully, if we actually do the work of growing up, not just chronologically, but mentally and emotionally, where we realize life's not that simplistic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into the whole patriarchal culture of the um, Old Testament and the early New Testament. But the reality is that if Lazarus was their male relative that they were dependent on, his death isn't just emotionally difficult for them. It was going to upend their entire world because the, the entire way that, um, that life operated, especially for women, was they were in a place of dependency, but also protection and um, the right to be provided for by a nearest male relative. And there's no indication that Mary and Martha were married. Again, I don't want to say they weren't because we don't know that. We have no idea how old Mary and Martha are. We don't know if they are in their young 20s. We don't know if they're 50. We have no idea about the age of these two sisters. What's important for us to understand, though, is that this isn't just a a loss on an emotional level. They, they lived together in this home, and so they probably were in a place of dependency, and their entire world was going to be upended because of Lazarus' death. When Jesus finally shows up, it's Martha who runs out to see Jesus. She doesn't wait for him to come to her. She goes to him. And when she goes to Jesus, this is what she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let's look at the first part of what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know what she had done? She had done the very thing that I still struggle with, and that is she'd written a script. See, she had in mind that if Jesus had been there while Lazarus was sick, but before he died, that Jesus would have healed him. That's the script she'd written. That's how the story was going to go. And even though Lazarus is now dead, she still has that script in her head. If you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. How does she know that? She doesn't have a clue about that. Jesus could have been there. And, and he could have let Lazarus die even if he had been physically present. I think the truth is we all are script writers. I wrote a play several years ago about the great caper along Route 66 and was privileged to be able to direct a teen club theater program to produce that play. And script writing is a lot of work. And if you've ever written a script, whether it's for a full two-act play or if it's just a a more minor um, uh, sketch, you know, for something. You can get very emotionally invested in your script. Your characters become very real to you. The plot line becomes very meaningful to you. And the scripts that we write for ourselves and our lives, we can become so emotionally invested in. We can end up writing scripts that say, God, if only you would have kept me from making that decision, providing healing, open my eyes to see a person's true character, stopped that person from becoming my boss or colleague, prevented that natural disaster, and the list can go on and on and on. We all write scripts for how things would go or would have gone if God would have been present in the way that we think he should have been present. But here's the important thing about Martha. She doesn't just stop with her script. She doesn't just say, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. No, she goes on with a profession of faith, not just in Jesus' ability to work miracles, but she makes a declaration that he is the Christ, the son of God. That statement would have been considered blasphemy by the religious leaders, and it could have cost her her life. Martha is one gutsy woman. And sometimes she gets a bad rap because we only tend to associate her with that story of Mary and Martha where Martha's running around, you know, focused on serving when Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, focused on learning. But this story shows us Martha has been listening. She has been paying attention. She has been wrestling with her beliefs. And she has come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. And she's gutsy enough to say so very directly. You know, we don't want to be guilty of compressing people into flat figures. In literature, a flat figure is a person who's one-sided. They don't really ever change throughout the story. A rounded character has a lot more nuance, and we see them grow and develop um, over the course of a story. But oftentimes, we can associate people, whether we read about them in the Bible or people that we know in our own personal lives, as being a flat character. We look at one scenario, one situation, one piece of information about a person's life and we sum them up and we categorize them by saying this is who that person is. We want to do the work of looking at a person's entire life. We've been touching on this a little bit in previous episodes because it's so vital for us to look and see if both a person's words and actions align. So what we want to be doing is we're we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for consistency of behavioral patterns. Even if that pattern is chaos and contradiction, there's still some consistency with that. Martha's pattern, however, is consistent. She is a true disciple of Christ. Does she get it right 100% of the time? No. But she doesn't allow her pain and the fact that the script didn't go the way she thought it was supposed to go to turn her away from faith in Christ. Doubt and fear are evidence of being human, not being a poor disciple. As we wrap this up today, there's three things that I really want us to highlight um, in, in this, this episode. Number one is Jesus was scandalous by society's standards and how he treated women with dignity and equality. But he demonstrates for us that our standards are not set by our culture, but by him and by God's design. And we don't want to make this truth only apply to men and women. We want to apply this to people wherever they are socioeconomically, wherever they are in any kind of category that we might place them in. We may sometimes be called upon to be scandalous because we so go against what the culture and society tells us. And Jesus modeled that for us in the way that he treated women. That was so, so incredibly different from how the expectations would have been from him at that time, both as a man and as a rabbi, as a teacher. The second thing is, we want to remember we don't need to earn Jesus' compassion. He is patient with our fears, which can pull us back into this type of thinking that we somehow need to justify hey, Jesus, remember you love me, remember you care about me, and then we attach a script to that about how how that's all going to work out. And the third thing is that just like Martha, We don't allow the pain of disappointment, even when it it hits so hard to being the death of a person, the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, that that pain pulls us away from Christ, but instead propels us to run to him. That's what Martha did. Even though the scripture she had written, didn't you know jesus didn't go along with that script that's not how it worked out she did not allow the very real pain that she was in to pull her away from faith in christ but instead that pain propelled her to run to him with a profound declaration of faith in who he was so wherever you are today Maybe you're in a situation and you're struggling in some way because society says that this is, and that's whether that's society at large, or maybe that's in your church or in your workplace or in your extended or immediate family, and there's a set way of of how things done and how certain groups of people get treated, and you recognize that is not modeled by Christ, then you want to have the courage to follow after Christ and to not go along with that. And secondly, to be reminded that you don't have to earn Jesus' compassion. And third, that whatever you're struggling with, and maybe you're at a season in your life right now, you're like, you know what? I'm really good. I, I don't really have any major struggles right now. Well, just wait, because that's the nature of life. And if you just wait long enough, something will come around again. And whether it's directly with you or, with its, or if it's with a, a loved one, a friend or a family member or something that happens in your community, pain is a part of this life. And sometimes that pain is so intense and immense. But like Martha, make the choice to allow that pain, take that pain with you. Martha didn't show up pretending like she wasn't in pain. She wasn't like, oh, Jesus, you know, just great to see you. You wouldn't believe the awesome funeral we have. It was just such so amazing. Now she shows up with her pain. But along with her pain, she shows up with a profession of faith. And that is something that we can follow her example with today as well. All right, my friend, I want to see you engage fully in God's grand story for your life. And that's why I'm here on this podcast. And I want to invite you to just leave a leave a review and a rating for this podcast. That helps the algorithms that be to to produce this podcast so that other people can find it. And then would you also do one other thing? This is to kind of help pay this forward for other people. If you find anything of value here, then I ask that you just share this with three other people you know what? It doesn't take any time at all to put together a text or a post or a reel or whatever it is and just send that to three other people and say, hey, here's a podcast that I think that you might be interested in. It's got some good stuff on here. Check it out. Okay, that's going to be it for today. And remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.